the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. Yeah,
we live in a physical body. This physical body is touched by infirmities. But this body is not our permanent residence. I like what Guy Bevington had to say. The day is coming when this house cannot be repaired anymore. And on that day, I'm going to simply move out of this house and into the next house, the spirit. We're so oriented to this physical body, however, that it's easy to think that this is our reality. But when we come to Jesus Christ, that reality changes from the physical realm to the spirit realm. The spirit realm is more real than the physical realm. The physical realm is temporary. The spirit realm is permanent. It's forever. So today we're going to read again for you from Pilgrim's Progress. I want you to notice that he keeps running into people who are false disciples of Jesus. What marks the falseness? You'll see that what marks the falseness is that they have put their security in something other than Jesus and the fact that they are in the spirit and not in the biological flesh of the body. And they follow the lust of their flesh and not the righteousness of the spirit of the kingdom of God. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. With and I'm me- Alexandra Greenley. Yes, with me in studio is Alexandra. And we're happy to be here with you. We're glad you're listening today. The message I think you will be profited by. Listen carefully. Alexandra, would you get us started? We've been sharing from the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. We're reading an updated version by C.J. Lovick. Before I begin reading, I wanted to just make a quick correction. In yesterday's broadcast, I mentioned a duel involving Alexander Hamilton. I had just, a friend had been speaking to me about it, and I didn't get to fact check it and wasn't planning on even bringing it up on the broadcast. Well, one of you listeners kindly corrected me. The duel was between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Interestingly, the duel was, dueling was already illegal in the states of New Jersey and New York at the time. Alexander Hamilton was the one who was fatally wounded in that duel. And it set off an anti-dueling movement. This was around 1805 or so. And I was excited to find online, you can read some original sermons that were published at the time, and there were even anti-dueling associations established where men and women pledged that they would not vote in any election for any candidate who had been involved with dueling. That was how serious they were about eliminating the practice, and we thank God that they were successful. We'll be reading, as I said, this is now chapter 3 of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. We've already seen our main character, Christian, enter into the narrow gate. He entered by himself, 
because the one young man who was going to go with him from the City of Destruction, his name was Pliable, and he turned back. So Christian entered the narrow gate, and we saw yesterday he was led to the house of the interpreter, or the house of the Holy Spirit, where he received instructions to help him on his journey. John Bunyan writes, Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on each side with a wall. The wall was called Salvation. Therefore, it was up this highway that Christian ran, but not without great difficulty because of the burden of the load on his back. He ran until he came to a small hill, at the top of which stood a cross, and at the bottom of which was a tomb. I want you to notice, as we go along, the urgency, the urgency in Christian's heart. Bunyan is saying, look, this is an urgent matter. It's not a casual stroll down the park. It is urgent. And so he pictures Christian as running, running with the burden on his back because he wants to get rid of this burden. Remember when he was in the house of the interpreter, he was impatient to be moving on. He wanted to get rid of this but the Holy Spirit needed to teach him some lessons. So he came through the narrow gate, and then the Holy Spirit began to speak with him. He's still walking in his sin. The narrow gate was simply where he made the decision, irrevocably made the decision, I will follow Jesus. And now the walls of salvation have come up to protect him from the enemy. And he is running toward the cross. There is such a sense of urgency in that running toward the cross. Have you ever experienced that urgency? That deep heart cry, I have to be free of my sin. I've got to be set free. I can't live like this another day. I need Jesus. It's a wondrous joy to have the Holy Spirit place that in a person's heart. When Christian walked up the hill to the cross, his burden came loose from his shoulders and fell off his back, yes. tumbling down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in to be seen no more. Then Christian was relieved and delighted and exclaimed with a joyful heart, he has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. For a while he stood still in front of the cross to look and wonder. It was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should ease him of his burden. He continued looking at the cross until tears began streaming down his cheeks. I want you to notice again. As he goes to the cross the burden of sin is removed from his back. He doesn't come to the cross and then continue walking in his sin. The sin is cut off in his heart. Not by what he's done, but by the cross, by the blood of Jesus. And he walks there at the cross and he begins to weep. 
I particularly like how it says of the burden that it fell in the tomb to be seen no more. Yes. It was gone. I love this just simple illustration of what it means to be dead to sin, to have our sins buried with Jesus. John Bunyan continues, As Christians stood looking and weeping, three shining ones came to him and greeted him, Peace be with you. Then the first said to him, Your sins are forgiven. The second stripped him of his rags and dressed him with new clothing. The third put a mark on his forehead and gave him a scroll with a seal on it. He told Christian to review it often as he went on his way and at the end of his journey to turn it in at the celestial gate. After this, they went on their way. I want to come back now and identify these three things that happen when you come to Jesus. First, your sins are all forgiven. Now, some say your past, present, and future sins are forgiven. That's not true. Your past sins and your present sins are forgiven. Jesus today is working in the Holy of Holies in the heavenly sanctuary, interceding with the Father, ministering to you, sending forth his Holy Spirit, He's doing this to prevent you from going back to sin in your future. And if you do, 1 John tells us that on that rare exception, if it should ever happen that you would sin against Jesus again, you have an advocate with the Father. You have someone who is interceding. Jesus is there to help you. But the expectation of Scripture is that when you come to Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you walk away clean. Now, when I came to this understanding, I began to go before the Lord and cry out over all of my sin and ask Jesus that I could stop sinning. Now, everyone told me, you can't stop sinning. You can never stop sinning. You're going to sin until you die. Well, death is not my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. And so I began to cry out and ask Jesus if he would forgive all of my sin. And I fasted. I prayed. I waited. And in the early hours of one morning, the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly to my heart. And he said, your sins are all forgiven. What rejoicing in my heart. With shouts of acclamation, I praised the name of Jesus because I had the assurance that my sins had been removed. See, the word for forgive is aphemi in the Greek, and it means literally to remove, to take away. So my sin had been removed. It's no longer a part of my life. I walk clean in Jesus with the expectation that I will not ever go back to my sin. Now, John Wesley, speaking about this, said that sin, according to 1 John, 
is rebellion against God. It is deliberate rebellion. It is volitional. It is voluntary. It is something I choose. Now he went on and said, an infirmity is not sin. Further, a mistake is not sin because I in no way intended rebellion against Jesus. So the modern church wants to take harmatia, the Greek word for sin, and say it means missing the mark. And it's true in classical Greek, that's what it means. But in biblical Greek, koinonia Greek, it does not mean that. It means rebellion against God. Sin is always voluntary. It is not something that just happens. It is a choice on my part. The gospel commission. And if you're not fulfilling the gospel commission, you're in need of revival. So phase two of a revival is where you begin to transition in a church because revival usually happens in the church. I'll say just one thing. Generally, when churches are sprung upon with revival, people get their hair up and they get angry because they feel insulted. Because suddenly they're confronted with the fact that their church is not perfect. And they begin to see that they're not very comfortable And so defenses begin to arise. I understand that. Phase two is when you begin to get through that and you begin to reach out to others, you can then begin to enter into phase three of revival. And phase three is what continues constantly from that point forward. It becomes an evangelistic outreach and the whole church becomes a life-saving machine to go gather in the harvest. The Lord said, pray for With good things, with good works that we're doing for other people and for God. And that happens, as Pastor Ray has said, by the Holy Spirit working in us to produce those good works. Now, the third thing was what? The third shining one put a mark on Christian's forehead and gave him a scroll with a seal on it. He told Christian to review it often as he went on his way, and at the end of his journey to turn it in at the celestial gate. And so we find in Ephesians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And so we find that, yes, we enter into the kingdom of God with a seal And we've been talking a lot about what is this seal. And it seems that Bunyan is saying that the seal and the scroll 
are the same thing. That the seal or the scroll which gives us entrance into the kingdom of God when we arrive at that place is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember John writes the words of Jesus in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John? He says, you can do nothing without me. It's the will of Jesus that we produce much fruit. We can't produce the fruit of righteousness. We can't produce the fruit of salvation for the lost without the presence of the Holy Spirit. As we continue reading the story, you'll you'll discover that many of the other pilgrims Christian meets on this journey do not have the seal or do not have the scroll. And these are both necessary in the end for entrance into the celestial city, that is entrance into heaven. So the the significant thing here is that this is the mark on the forehead and the scroll. These are things that God gives us that indicate that we belong to him, that we are his children. And he recognizes us. He knows us because he has marked us. He has given us the scroll. So I want you to know today that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are a true disciple, you have been marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of salvation. And we're expected to walk like we were sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. John Bunyan continues, Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on his way singing, This far I did come burdened with my sin, nor could I find relief from my grief within. Until here I came, what a place this is. Here shall be the beginning of full eternal bliss. We need to stop for just a minute. We've received a text from one of our listeners saying that we were taken off air about three minutes ago. Brother Kevin, are you there, our producer? Are we on air? We are off air? What's happened? Everything's off air? Whoa. What should we do? Yes, we do. So let's continue. So it's possible it could just come back on. Okay. Okay. So we'll continue for those of you who are watching on YouTube. Uh, This is vital material and we want you to have it. So Christian continues, Now my burden falls from my back forever, from the cords that bound it. By grace my grief is severed. Blessed cross, blessed tomb, rather most blessed be 
the man who there was put to shame, a shame he took for me. I saw then in my dream that Christian went on until he came to the bottom of the hill. There he saw lying by the side of the path three men fast asleep with chains upon their feet. The name of one was Foolish, the second Sloth, and the third Presumption. Christian went to them to see if he might wake them up, and said to them, You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on top of a mast, though the dead sea is under you, a gulf that has no bottom. Wake up, and get back on the path, and if you're willing I will help you take off your iron shackles. He also told them, If he that goes about like a roaring lion comes by and finds you like this, he will destroy you with his teeth. With that, they looked at Christian and began to reply. Foolish said, I see no danger. Sloth said, I just need a little more sleep. And Presumption said, Everyone needs to make his own choices. You need to mind your own business and not meddle in ours. So they all lay down to sleep again, and Christian went on his way. Have you ever been told this, Alexandra, by people that you were witnessing to? Definitely the I see no danger. That's that's pretty common. I need a little more sleep. Maybe that's like when people say, I won't come to Jesus right now. I'll come to Jesus later. And then presumption's response. This is just such a twisting of free will. Just because you believe in free will doesn't mean that you have the right to sin. That's like saying, because I have free will, I have the right to kill somebody. That's foolish. So they're on the journey. They're on the road. But they're in chains. They're bound. So what's happening in their life is restricted for the kingdom of God. More than that, they can't even walk. They can't even walk as Christians. They are bound. So, how do you set people like this free? And many of you who listen may be in one of these three conditions. One man said to me, Pastor, I listen to your broadcast, but my heart is so cynical. He's bound in chains. He's bound. How do you get loosed? By making a decision that you will allow yourself to be unchained. And that you will work to get those chains off of you. How do you do that? Reading the scripture. Prayer. Fellowship with others who are serious about Jesus. Many of you will go into church this coming week. And it will be chit-chat time. It will be friendship time. It'll be talk about sports time. It'll be foolishness. And there's not a seriousness in your heart that says, I must have Jesus. That has to change. We have to turn with all of our heart to Jesus and get on this path and walk on this path. Now what happens? Christian was troubled to think that men in such danger should have so little regard for the kindness that he had extended. 
when he woke them up, gave them advice, and offered to free them from their iron shackles. As he was thinking about this, he saw two men come tumbling over the wall on the left side and onto the path. They immediately came toward Christian. The name of the one was Formalist, and the name of the other was Hypocrisy. Soon they were walking with Christian on the path. Christian immediately began to engage them in conversation. Christian asked, Gentlemen, where did you come from, and where are you going? Formality and hypocrisy replied, We were born in the land of vain glory, and are going to Mount Zion, where we expect we will receive both praise and honor. Why didn't you enter by the gate that stands at the beginning of the way? Don't you know that it's written that he who does not come in by the door but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber? Formalists and hypocrisy answered that to go to the gate in order to enter into the way was considered by them and all their countrymen to be too inconvenient and out of the way, especially since they could shorten the journey by simply climbing over the wall. But won't this be seen as trespassing? Christian asked. Don't you think the lord of the city, for which we are bound, must count it as a violation of his revealed will? Formalist and hypocrisy told Christian not to worry about it, since it had been the custom of their land for more than a thousand years. But, asked Christian, will your custom stand up in a court of law? They replied, This custom of entering the way by taking a shortcut has been going on as a long-standing practice for more than a thousand years, and would be ruled as a legal practice by any impartial judge. And besides, they added, as long as we get into the way, what does it matter how we get in? If we are in, we are in. You came into the way through the narrow gate, and we came tumbling over the wall. And since we're both in, who's to say that your chosen path is better than ours? See, this is what we face in the church. Some will say, what's most important is that I keep the church calendar, that I go through the formal process. And their religion is almost entirely that of formality. They're not very comfortable if they can't have the communion every Sunday. I'm puzzled by that. Because when I go in my prayer closet, I meet with Jesus. When I read the word, I meet with Jesus. When I'm in the, in the throes of, of agony of heart over the condition of the church and the world, I meet with Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes. I don't need to go to church and have the communion service. Sometimes I think the communion can be more damaging than helpful if we put our confidence in that and not in Jesus. Now, I love the Word of God, but I don't worship the Bible. I worship the one the Bible points me to. It points me to Jesus I worship Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. This Bible didn't die for me. The communion did not die for me. Its symbols are vitally important. 
But it's not what saves me. The true blood of Jesus entered into the holy of holies in the heavenly courts and washed away my sin. So formality on one hand, and you'll find in just a minute, he takes an easy road and gets lost, and basically we never hear of formality again on the journey. And the other person, hypocrisy, ends up dying. He says one thing, but he does another. He says, I follow Jesus, but in reality, he follows his own fleshly desires. Hypocrite's the one who will stand in church and say, it's vitally important that we walk with Jesus, and he'll go home and he'll dive into pornography. That's a hypocrite. Or he'll say everything on the line for Jesus, and then he'll go home and sit in front of the television for hours and drink in the darkness of the world. Hypocrite. He'll say we must love one another, and he'll go home and yell at his kids and perhaps even abuse his wife. Hypocrite. He'll say to everyone at work, I'm a Christian. As one businessman said to me when I tried to talk with him about Jesus, he said, No, I'm not a Christian. I said, Why? What's happened? He said, Well, I had a man come and work in my company, and he talked to everybody about Jesus. He even talked to me about Jesus. He was telling everybody, we have to follow Jesus. And then I discovered he was embezzling from my company. And I had to fire him. What? A strong witness for Jesus while he's embezzling money from the company. That's a hypocrite. When you say one thing, and you pretend you're one thing, but in secret you're another. When you stand and say, I follow Jesus, and then secretly you're smoking your cigars, you're a hypocrite. Or you're chewing tobacco, you're a hypocrite. Or you're going and getting smashed and drunk, you're a hypocrite. And Bunyan is saying that hypocrites end up not following the journey and they end up dying in the process. You cannot survive the Christian walk. The true Christian walk, you cannot survive and be a hypocrite. So if you're a hypocrite today or you're a formalist today, we're calling you to repent and to get right with Jesus, to lay it all on the line. Talk the talk, walk the walk. Don't say one thing and do another. Be honest about who you are and who you are not. And the blessing of God will be on you if you're following Jesus honestly and truly. And you'll find this journey the most exciting thing that could happen to a man or to a woman or a boy or a girl. 
Anything you want to say? There's a reason why formalists and hypocrisy are friends and why they're walking together. It's because formalism can help a person continue in their hypocrisy and <laughs> not really be honest about the hypocrisy. Yes. So if you recognize yourself in any, any of the examples that Ray just shared, and yet you are very formal, you may go to church three times a week, you never miss a Bible study, you never miss communion, you show up early to set up chairs, and yet you have these hypocritical behaviors. We beg you to leave that and to find real salvation in Jesus. And it's making that commitment that I am going to be honest, I am going to be truthful, I'm going to be a person of integrity, and I'm going to give myself totally to Jesus and let him change me and make me into a real, holy, sincere Christian. And it means going back and entering this journey at the gate. Because Jesus said he was the gate. You can't be a Christian if you don't enter the journey through Jesus. And he said, I am a narrow gate. He contrasted the broad way and the narrow way. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of the Father in heaven. So, for formalist and hypocrite to be saved, they're going to have to go back to the beginning. And they're going to have to be converted. Now, I'm shy of saying this, but I need to. Many of you listening to this broadcast today have not ever been born again. You were socialized into the church. It's what you're accustomed to but you've never been transformed into that new creature. There's still bitterness in your heart. There's still wickedness in your spirit. You need to go back and start over with Jesus. And we encourage you today, go back to the beginning. Now, one pastor said to me, I have a young woman who has come to me for counseling. And she said to me, there's something wrong with me, Pastor. He said, what do you mean? Well, I'm never able to live above my sin. I'm constantly being caught in darkness. And I can't, I can't get past these things that I know are wrong that I don't want to do, but I keep doing them. Can you help me? And the pastor very wisely said to her, I don't think you've ever been born again. And so, of course, you can't leave the sin. And she looked with a brilliant smile on her face, and she said, that's the problem. Would you help me walk through being born again? And he answered, gladly I will walk with you. She confessed her sin. She renounced it. She asked to be born again by the Spirit. 
They read the scriptures together. They prayed together. And suddenly a brilliant smile came across her face. And she said, now I'm right with Jesus. I have the victory. And he testified that from that day forward, she was a wonderful Christian woman in his congregation, and she had the victory. She never went back to her sin. So I don't want to in any manner criticize or condemn or speak harshly to any of you who don't have victory over sin. There's a reason you don't have it. You've not been born from above. But when you're born from above, you'll have the victory. And it won't be by white-knuckling it. It will be by the power of the Spirit of God, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, made into a new creature, a new person who walks in victory. That's awesome news to me. I hope it is to you. You hear my heart. I want the gospel of Jesus to be powerful in you and then move forward and begin to win the lost to Jesus. Testify, this is what Jesus has done for me. And then many will come to Jesus because of your testimony. Formalist and hypocrisy said to the Christian, as long as we're in, we're in. You came into the way through the narrow gate, and we came tumbling over the wall. And since we're both in, who's to say that your chosen path is better than ours? So Christian replied, I walk by the rule of my master. You walk by the rude working of your own notions. You are condemned as thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore, I doubt you will be found as true men at the end of the journey. You came in by yourselves without his direction and will go out by yourselves without his mercy. To this they had little to say, except to tell Christian to mind his own business. Then I saw that formalists and hypocrisy went along with Christian, saying only that as far as the laws and ordinances were concerned, they would obey them as conscientiously as Christian. They added that they saw no difference between themselves and Christian, except for the coat he wore, which they speculated was given to Christian to hide his shame and nakedness. Christian responded, You will not be saved by keeping laws and ordinances. You cannot be saved, because you did not come in by the door. As for the coat that's on my back, it was given to me by the Lord of the place where I am going and is, as you say, a cover for my nakedness. I take it as a token of his kindness to me, for I had nothing but rags before. Besides, I take some comfort in the fact that when I come to the gate of the city, the Lord of that place will surely recognize me since it is his coat on my back, a coat that he gave me the day that he stripped me of my rags. When the rags are taken off, what are they? Habits of darkness, sin, bitterness, wickedness. When those are stripped away by the power of the blood of Jesus, we are dressed in a new robe. And it does cover our nakedness. It dresses us. 
And what is the robe? The righteous acts of the saints. The power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives to cause us to walk out the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we are under the authority of God. We are citizens of heaven. And our hearts are moved with compassion for others. We want them likewise to be clothed as we're clothed. And the church then becomes an army to bring the world under the power of Jesus Christ. Ephesians tells us that the Father wants to bring all things in heaven and earth under the lordship of Jesus. And Alexandra, you've talked about this a number of times. The abolitionist movement came out of the church. The public school system came out of the church. The great movements that have reformed our culture, they all came out of the church. As Christians did what they knew they needed to do to serve Jesus. This needs to happen today. Abortion needs to be stopped. I mean, a huge percentage of black children in New York City are being murdered. How dare we murder the children of color in America? Oh, a woman has the right? Oh, a woman has the right to murder a baby? No. The church needs to stand up and face what's happening in the abuse of women, in the abortion, and in many other areas. The church needs to stand up and say, Stop. Christians are the majority in America. If Christians would simply stand up and pastors would stand up and say, Stop this. And vote with their feet and with their heart, it would be stopped. There is another element to this. It doesn't end with our vote. It has to continue into then reaching out to those people. If a mother is truly in a situation where she feels she has no other choice except to kill her child, she is in great need of help. Practical help, spiritual help, emotional help, someone to listen. Financial help. And these are the women who oftentimes are happy to come into the church because they've been shown love and kindness in a time of trouble where there was there was nobody to help them if there were somebody to help them in many cases they would choose not to abort their child so it's important that we encompass the full spectrum including voting but also including the practical help the outreach the compassion the love and the, especially praying for their salvation and the salvation of those children. This is the work of the gospel. You know, we're coming on this radio. We're doing the work of the gospel, and we are so grateful for all of you who donate to help us continue this work of the gospel. And we're going to boldly do this, and we're also praying for resources to help the poor. 
But this is just one small part. We need every church everywhere working for the gospel of Jesus Christ and letting go of formality and hypocrisy and being honest with Jesus. I followed up with my friend Lauren Handy, the missionary we interviewed some time ago on this broadcast, the founder of Mercy Missions. She is a pro-life missionary. She shared with me that in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, she has seen an incredible cooperation among the churches that she's never seen anywhere else before. She's ministered in over 30 states. She's gone to Haiti. And she said that what she saw in Louisiana was that there were three main concerns in Baton Rouge that the church needed to address. She said that they were abortion. The second was homelessness. And the third, I can't recall right this moment, but she said the churches, the Protestant churches, the Catholic church, the non-denominational churches, they've all recognized these issues. And she said they're working together. I said, how are they working together? She said, well, they, they all know where the homeless people live. And so one church says, okay, we'll help this homeless community. And then another church says, okay, we'll help this homeless community. And that way, everyone everyone is reached through the church. And I was like, that's really simple. And she said, it, you're right, it is very simple. I was like, this doesn't require like a lot of, you know, difficult strategizing. We just have to talk with each other and honestly say, okay, what are the needs in our community and who's going to take which part? So I was encouraged by that. She said she's never seen the Spirit of God moving anywhere the way she's seen it moving in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Just the, the cooperation among the churches, that she said the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in the worship services, in the outreach time. She said one church, 150 members of the church came out to do a worship service outside of an abortion clinic. And they liked it so much that they said, well, let's do this every month. Praise God. So I really am hoping and looking forward to seeing that begin to happen here in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And to see many people come into the faith, into the church, and into Jesus Christ through this loving, compassionate cooperation among the churches. Christian in John Bunyan's story continued, I also have a mark on my forehead which perhaps you have not noticed. One of my Lord's most intimate associates placed it on my forehead the day that my burden fell off my shoulders. Also, I have been given a scroll to read as a comfort to me as I make the journey. I was also told to turn it in at the celestial gate as an assurance that I will be welcomed into the celestial city. I doubt you have any interest in all these things since you did not come in at the gate. To this, formalist and hypocrisy gave no reply. They just looked at each other and laughed. Then I saw that they all kept walking along the path, except that Christian walked up ahead and had no more conversation with formalist and hypocrisy. He only talked with himself, sometimes sighing, sometimes encouraging himself, and often refreshing himself by reading from the scroll. I saw then that they all went on until they came to the foot of the hill, Difficulty, at the bottom of which was a spring of fresh water. 
Here the men were faced with a choice of three paths. The path that led directly to the gate continued, sorry, directly from the gate continued straight up the steep hill. Another path turned to the left and a third to the right. Christian went to the spring and drank until he was no longer thirsty and then began to go up the hill difficulty, saying, The hill, though high, I desire to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Be strong, my heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. We're glad you've been with us. We want you to follow after Jesus, to be filled by the Spirit. You can reach us by writing. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com, and we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And we would be greatly encouraged if you chose to give to help support this ministry. We've been going to the post office for a number of days, and there have been no offerings. We're trusting Jesus. Our eyes are upon him. Call us, 703-489-1785. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.